welcome back everybody to the out of body experiences podcast my name is alicia figurelli from thomas greco publishing i am one of your hosts i am joined by eddie day from collision restoration in fairfield now you may speak thank you for having me <laughs> i was trying to say that for the sixth goddamn time okay uh thanks it was great to be back it's nice to be back i uh you know it'd be nice to see this get bigger and and uh, we we had a fun time last time so i'm i'm i'm, I'm optimistic and the good times are going to keep rolling and our our second co-host our our first i feel like you're the host and we're the co-hosts i don't know tom greco from thomas greco publishing he's mm -hmm. the 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 uh the steerer of the ship i guess you could say <laughs> i just hope we don't crash it that's for sure <laughs> <laughs> i think we did a, we did we had i think we had pretty good response last time yeah I, you know me yeah. if i'm not on land there's a problem Oh, me too. I got. I, listen, I do. I'll tell you. God, never mind. You don't want to hear story. That's so anyhow. Go ahead. Continue. We'll I'm sorry. In a second. I have a good. Yeah, got. You got to let me tell the story about the boat. Okay. And and, and Marco Island. Go ahead. So. Ooh, okay. okay. Well, first, before we get into it, uh, just the newest thing, uh, in addition to us being back, is we have made the big time officially. We have a sponsor. We are a sponsored podcast. And the first official sponsor of the Out of Body Experiences podcast is a great one, Spinezy Americas. Special nice thanks to Spinezy and, of course, to friend of the show, friend of TGP, Tim Morgan. Thank you for your unwavering support always. Now into a new medium, um, outside of print, online, and now podcasts. So visit Spinezy.us to learn more or click the link in the episode description. More on that in a few, but first... There are a ton of podcasts out there now in our industry, and there's room for everybody. There's a lot of really good ones out there, but I think ours is a little bit different because we're we're like industry related. Where obviously you're who's more in the industry than you, but we kind of tackle topics in collision repair without necessarily hanging fenders for an hour, and it's a little bit more silly and a little bit more real and. A little bit less technical where you know hopefully people listen and and watch i keep forgetting that there's a whole video component to this the goal for the collision repairers who are going to listen and watch this is that there are a lot of auto body podcasts out there and they're all great i mean they're some are better than others but the vast majority of them are educational we're going to be educational but we're going to be educationally entertaining uh so we're going to give you the information from somebody who is you know i've been in this industry for almost 40 years and there's and again, I'm not going to kiss up to him, but there's no one more knowledgeable than any day. And the way he tells a story and the, with his experience makes us, our, our podcast, quite unique. And I think that's why hopefully people will tune in because it's a view that you're not going to get anywhere else. And you're also going to no. <laughs> <laughs> get a lot, a lot of laughs along with a lot of, uh, a lot of information that, that uh, <clears throat> you need to know. And I, I, that's what I think is going to separate us. And that's why, you know, we want to thank our sponsors, Benisi, because they're they're on the ride with us and uh, they see how we do stuff a little differently than most and hopefully it continues to be like that. So Eddie, how did you get involved in this industry? Uh, like most of us, you know, we loved cars, you know, then there was, there were programs in school before they got rid of these programs, which were more valuable now than ever. Um, Cooperative Industrial Education, CIA. So, uh, you know, but we enjoyed cars, you know, as kids where I was in a big car town, big hot rod town. And, uh, you know, just I admired all those guys, you know, the cool cars, you know. You're from, so, no, 
Where are you from? You're from Bloomfield? Bloomfield, yeah. Oh, Belleville originally named Bloomfield. Um, you admire the car guys, you know? So I bought an old clunker. My parents bought me this old junk, you know, I tinkered around. And I started working for a body shop in Montclair and for an old German guy. He immigrated after wartime. He was a German soldier. And he was just an ornery old son of a bitch. He was just, you know, they're gone now. And his partner was Nick Testa, about four feet high, the greatest guy in the world, that little tiny guy. And um, I started working there. And then I went to a mechanical shop after that. And I just missed the body work. I was only a kid. So, and then I worked for a dealer. And um, I just love it. You know, I still love it. I'm 65 years old. I, I still love the business. And it, it drives me every day. It, it gets me up in the morning and uh, it feels brand new. And, you know, I mean, we have our days, of course. But so that's how I got involved in the industry. And I worked on my own for quite a long time, a little tiny garages here and there. And I uh, found, a, found a home up here in Fairfield. It's been a great town. So, you know, it's been, it's, it's uh, I just expanded again. I built a, built a new office and a drive through estimating area at 65. My friends are like, my friends are getting out. Quite a few of my friends are leaving the business. And my dinner friends were leave, are leaving the business. And they're like, what are you doing? I said, I don't know. I don't know anything else. You know, this, this is what I do. When did, I, when did you start your business? In this location, 1986. And I installed my first spray booth in 1987. I cash advanced three credit cards for the down payment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I came here with two hundred dollars, and we're you know we're pretty. So it's a big place now. You know, I'm very proud of it, and uh, due to a lot of hard work, and you know, going home with my head between my legs, going, you know, "What am I doing this for?" You know, you have those moments, those lonely entrepreneurial moments. You know, that's. But um, yeah, I'm very proud of it, and 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 it's it's been good to my family and I. We don't roll around in money all night, but we, it's been a wonderful living, and you know, always. Awesome. So. What was the first job that came in that made you say, what the? Uh, bad what, I get myself into? what do you mean? Bad? What did I get myself into? Yes. Yeah. Like um, a guy came to me with a Hearst was a company, a Dodge Dart that they made a handful of. It was a factory race wow. car right from Chrysler. And it was a hand, it was one of 120 cars. So it's that, that that car now is is probably a million dollars, you know. And I turned it down because of the level of responsibility. Even this is 30 years ago. And it was a wheel, it was called a wheel stander. It was a car they brought from all the tracks. And this guy was an exhibition car. That was the first car that I got yelled at for not taking it in. You know, the guy screamed at me. I mean, I won't mention his name because it, it's there's one of there's one of a hundred cars. Right. But um, the first car I ever got into that really that really rocked me was a '69 Charger 500 that I put my I, I bled for it. That was the first car that really it's the paint job still on the car. It's 33 years later. Yeah. I just saw a picture of it two weeks ago, and I said, "Wow, the repaint you did looks good." He goes, "Eddie, that's still your paint." So that's a great yeah, it was pretty cool, you know. Ah. So that's that's the first car that really rocked me, you know. That's some great paint too. Jesus. Well, that's 33 years later. Yeah, wow. yeah, 33 years later. So when you do that, it shows it shows your preparation, all that stuff. It shows how how hard you worked. You know, I don't think I was any better than anybody else. I think I just worked. Maybe I worked harder at it. That's all. But I think that's important too, is knowing what you don't know. So like you turned a car away, maybe because I, I just couldn't take the car. I couldn't. Yeah. I knew it was going to. I just knew this. I knew the personality of the customer. 
and the value of the vehicle. And that's the first car I turned away and I need it work. Mm. I need, I need it work, you know? But that's and, important. Uh, it's important to say yeah. no once in a while. So, yeah. Yeah. And, and uh, the first car that I felt really proud of, I had an SV. Can I tell the story? I had a, I just got into the building. The building's empty. I have no work outside, right? 1987, 88. I got to think maybe 90-ish. And a SVO Mustang comes in, super rare, smashed in the right front. And I looked at the car and I went, oh, God, work. Thank God, right? So the guy goes, look, here's a $2,000 deposit. Just fix my car. Call me when it's done. I said, you want to call your insurance company? I go, no, 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 no. I live in Essex Fells. My parents have a lot of money. And, and I'm like, well, you know, I'll, I'll fix your car. I wrote an estimate. He took the estimate. said, yes. I call my local Ford dealer. I said, I need this, this, and this. Five minutes later, I get a call back. He goes, uh, is that car silver? I went, oh, no, right? So, he goes, <laughs> <laughs> so it's a hit and run. Ugh. He smashed his car up. No, 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 it gets better. He smashed his car up. Police come down. Tape off the car. Police investigation, tow truck comes, tows the car wet. Two days later, I'm upstairs in my office and I hear these footsteps. And I hear bigger ones behind it. I said, oh, gee, you know, like, what's next, right? Guy walks upstairs, he goes like this. He goes, uh, is, is there any day around? I went, I'm at no. Day. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> he was just leaving, right? So I go, yeah, I'm any day. He goes, uh, I wanna. I came here to thank you. He goes. I'm the. Uh, I'm the head of the union, the Teamster Union, in New Jersey. He goes. And that car that you were honest about hit my son's car. And he comes in with two bottles of Dom Perignon at the time, and he thanks me with some big guy behind him, right? And I went, well, you're welcome. I see. He goes, he's a good, honest guy. We need more people like you, right? I'm like, oh God, Jesus Christ! And he hands me a business card. I swear to God, I kept it for 20 years. He goes, if you need anything, and listen, it's always the second anything, and I mean anything, <laughs> you call this number 24-7. This is my personal number at my home. And I went, that was pretty. So that was the proudest moment that I was honest enough. And I had like a, like, I felt like I had like a little bodyguard for the rest of my life. <laughs> Until the guy retired, you know? Yeah, he was a he was a head of the team of New Jersey. So that was a good feeling, you know? So Eddie, tell us about that boat. Oh, that's a, but I'm with Tommy. We grew up in a neighborhood. Nobody had a pool in our neighborhood. Okay, and Tommy had a rich. Nutley was rich. Where I grew up was poor. Okay, so, so but Nutley girls were high end, Tom. <laughs> okay, but so but we nobody had a pool in our neighborhood. You know, some crappy above ground pool. So nobody swam. So I never learned to swim. I don't have one friend of mine that could swim. Nobody. I swear to God. It's a, it, no, that's not true. When you went to the Rotunda Pool on 7th Avenue, which could have been the most dangerous in Newark, the most dangerous place in America, okay? You were going to be drowned, okay? <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, 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 no. No. Hold you underwater, okay? It was a the most dangerous little tiny body of water in America, okay? <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, my father goes, come on on the boat. And this is 25 years ago. Come on on a boat. My friend, you'll love him. He's a veteran. He's a great guy. He's a... So I get on this boat and I'm not, and I, they're, they're going to fish. Okay. So we docked beautiful 30 footer, the whole thing. And I, I knew I was screwed when I'm not making this up. There was a prosthetic leg with ice and a beer in it. Okay. The guy's a World War II veteran. Okay. <laughs> okay. Who got his leg peeled off 
on one of the islands in the Pacific. A tough guy, right? And a nice guy, don't get me wrong. So we get halfway out, we're going to intercoastal, and everything gets a little wavy. It's going up and down. I said, I don't feel good. I've never been on the water maybe twice in my life on a boat. And my friends obviously in that boat school couldn't have a friggin' above ground pool. They had no money, right? So the the, the, the boat, I'm getting sick as a dog now, Tom, right? I go like this. I go, guys, do me a favor. You got to turn around. He goes, you see that leg? It looks like a man I'm going to turn around. I'm not turning around. <laughs> He's got one leg, Tom. <laughs> so I swear to God. So I go like this. I go, you got a Ziploc bag? He goes, yeah. <laughs> so he gets, he gets me. So now we're in some, I don't even know where we are now. I think we're in Naples at this point, right? So he, he goes, I'll get you as close to that hotel as possible. I put my thing in a Ziploc bag, my, my cell phone, my wallet, and I dive into the water and I swim half-ass like a, you know, like a, like a, like a seven-year-old right there, praying for it. Every time I got closer to, you know, I, I made a deal with God. And then as soon as I got close to the shore, it was over. But um, I walked through this hotel, this exclusive hotel. I got shit hanging off me, seaweed. The lady goes, oh, pardon me, you cannot walk through this hotel. I go, like hell I can't, lady, right? <laughs> I jumped the fence. I slide through. I open my cell phone. I said, Karen, I am in Naples at this hotel. She picks me up. And it was the last time I was on a boat. And I own a house on the water. Okay. <laughs> I don't have a boat in my backyard. So anyway, that's my boat story. It's entertaining enough. It's, that's all I got. All right. So, <laughs> guys, I'm sure I dove in the water. I never, I never, never look back. How about the time you went on the, uh, the trip with another body shop owner, Robin Ricca? Now, I, I love Robin, but but Robin turns into Bly. Wait, wait. Okay? Robin, Robin, he turns into Captain Bly. He screams at you and shit. I don't know. Freaking sailboat. He's fucking yelling. Excuse my. He, he's fucking yelling at everybody. I go, what are you doing? Tack this. Tack to the right. Fuck his tack. <laughs> so, remember? Remember he turned into I was, a real I wasn't there. I wasn't there that night. I just remember. You remember that? Yeah, move to the right, tack, duck, and the friggin' sails flying by me. I go, I want to go home. Robin Rickett, Richie Weber. I love Robin, but he's loud. He, he, he's, he, um, we almost lost the friendship. I, I said, no, Robin, I can't be with you. He, he, gets <laughs> he gets nasty. I called, like, no, what happened? He got mad at me. I called, I said, your boat looks like a big Clorox bottle. <laughs> he got all pissed off at me. So again, I'm sorry to, to go off the beaten trail here. No, that's that's where it gets good. <laughs> but I don't know if we're going to get a call from Robin, so I don't know if we want to be talking too much about him. Tell him to call me. Okay, so Ed, you've never really stopped working, and that's kind uh -oh. of a, a, a clumsy segue into, you know, during COVID, our industry was one of the few industries that really didn't stop working. Um, you know, maybe for a couple days, people closed just to see what was going to happen. But by and yeah, large, it was, cre it was creepy. It was creepy. Yeah. Yeah. And then being named essential, nobody really stopped. The body shop industry didn't stop. Service industry didn't stop. Would you say, you know, present day, you feel like COVID's over? You think, is it safe to say industry-wise that, you know, yeah, oh, I, I think all so, that yeah. stuff, supply yeah, chain, I, everything, is it coming back? Uh, supply chain's still a little squeaky. I don't think it's completely over on a supply chain basis. I have I have problems with Acura. I got problems with Honda parts. Uh, there's still companies that used to deliver twice a day to me that, like Chrysler, that can't sometimes can't get a order from me for four or five days. So I don't think it's the same. I also think people downsized during COVID, mm -hmm. and stayed that way. So yeah. I think they're using like some of the manufacturers are using 
um, COVID is a, just a, an excuse to keep the staff down, keep their pricing down, employee level um, benefit packages. They're, they're all cuts. Everybody's cut to the bone and working really hard right now. So yeah. I, I don't think it's all supply chain. I think, I think it's for a while, the, the shops were busier than they had been in probably maybe some of them ever. I think still, I think the shops are decent. Even even bad shops, decent shops are busy, you know, and and that's that's this is not about COVID, pent up COVID demand. That's over. The distraction in today's cars are incredible. Everything runs through that center pod. Heated seats, radio control, volume, cruise control, except for the, the little few things on the steering wheel is kind of limited. Um, people aren't paying it. They're looking away from the windshield. And that's where all this work is coming from. So only oh, now Hyundai just put out a statement two weeks ago that they're keeping all the hand controls in their cars because they feel that people are looking away from that dashboard. And that's Hyundai. And they're a great company. They really yeah. are. Hyundai Kia. They're keeping knobs and, and buttons in their cars right now. So that's where the work is coming from. And the cell phones, everybody's is, they're addicted to the, their cell phone use. They walk across the middle of the street with their head down. It's it's incredible. It really is. You know, so it's. Ed, on these, on, you know, every new car, it seems the screens are bigger and bigger and bigger, right? Unbelievable. So, they got bigger. And more, and more of them. Tom. Got a laptop. Yeah. But isn't that. They're huge. But that's. The Grand, the, the Grand Cherokee screen is 28 inches. It goes from the passenger all the way to the right. And if you want to swap the information, you could just slide over what the yeah. passenger sees onto the driver's side. It's just, it's, it's, it's a television set. But isn't that's that bigger than the TV that we had in our first house? <laughs> I'm pretty sure. But isn't that and there's more stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Kind of um, counter to all the safety measures that they're taking uh, to Tom, help drivers. I, mean, it's I agree. There's so many distractions. Tommy, there's so much technological distraction. Right. It's incredible what's going on. And, and, and I don't think they're, they're addressing it. I don't think the voice actuated stuff in a car is not that good. Come on. What's the most frustrating thing in the world is talking to your car. Yeah. Okay. And it gives you, you know, it, it wants to send you on vacation and you like, Oh, I want to do is call my wife, you know, like, you know, we we've seen just, you know, amongst the, the shops that we've been talking to that it is starting to slow down a little bit and it's leveling off. It's right. leveling off. Yeah. So what, what, what's the future look like coming out of COVID? I personally think I think we're out of COVID for a long time. I think people are adapting to the new technology. Maybe they're not using that screen. They're more they're more aware of the distractions in the car. So, but initially, the last two and a half years, when people bought this new stuff, they're just they're just not paying attention. Mm -hmm. You know, it's starting. But is it is it? Well, we had no winter. You know, even though it doesn't seem to matter in the last couple of years. We've been steady straight through with my, with the, my shop broke records three years in a row. Yeah. And we broke. Yeah. It, we, we stayed busy. Funny story. Everybody in the shop gained 40 pounds because everything we ate was out, <laughs> of, was out of a plastic package. And I went like one day I went like this and they went, they were all washing the, the plastic packages like this green monster is going to jump off us. And it was three weeks in. I'm like, I'm done. I put a barbecue grill outside the shop. We barbecued breakfast and lunch. We ate like pigs, so everybody <laughs> gained everybody gained weight. The whole shop was pissed off at me. I just would go to anything that was in a plastic package that was heat sealed. Now, you don't even go to a deli anymore. God forbid you trust somebody to, to make a a, a freaking turkey sandwich, right? So, so so you ate that shit, plain English, 
you know, and every, that the everyone's funniest making part is, bread. Everyone's baking their own bread from scratch. Remember that? Yeah, yeah, sure. That, <laughs> you know what? I grew up in a house that bread that was that was baked bread, but you know, come on, that's that's over. That's mm-hmm. done. The worst part was everybody going like this to me, like at ten o'clock. I just tested. I'm gone, and you'd lose an employee for ten mm-hmm. days. You know, every time I turn around and and people cough, he sneezed. People, it was it was it. It got to the point where I said, "This is what we, this is what we become as a country." You know, like young guys, you know, young healthy men, deathly afraid. So I, my, I got twenty-one-year-old guys running out, standing outside, but they go outside and smoke a cigarette. <laughs> you know. Let's take a minute to talk about this episode's sponsor, Spinezy, an industry-leading provider of collision repair equipment. Spinezy has been a supporter of TGP for many years and they are widely known to the industry as well. Spinezy designs, develops, and manufactures a wide range of body shop products to help you with diagnostics, damage repair, spray booths, welding, measuring, and so much more. Get your quote at spinezy.us or just click on the link in the episode description for full product info, a virtual tour of the facility, details on the many OEM approvals, and more. Spinezy is a real it's they're 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 on the cutting edge the, the italians do a great job they really do they there are spray booth but the, 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 most of the major equipment frame machine wise are are european mostly italian a little french a little german and uh and they're on their they're on their game they really are the stuff's precise yeah it's been, they make a nice product they really do so ed uh we've seen sort of oem certification grow ridiculously over the last few years uh, I know you, you've done a lot of it. Um, how, how would you compare certification uh, versus DRP? It seems similar in two, a way. Two, two different animals. Two, two different, complete, there's no, nothing. Well, it's according to what certification you're talking about. There are certifications that, uh, and, and the manufacturers don't, um, there's some certification that the manufacturers don't have any teeth in. Okay. They they haven't restricted enough parts. Like how are you going to restrict a Mitsubishi part where they make 80,000 of one unit, say a frame rail? Number one, the car'd be total loss because if they restrict the car, the labor rate's going to change. It does change for the higher end stuff. Okay. Anything that's restricted, labor rate changes. And when the labor rate changes, it's going to take a thirty thousand dollar car and it's going to total it very quickly. Um and I don't think they'd have they then they need a vast network of collision repair facilities to be trained for say the Mitsubishi frame rails, right? And I don't think enough guys um like they're making money with their DRP programs. They're and they're and their regular work. Everybody, the, the shops, I think the majority of the well-run shops find a way. The smart guys don't steal, that know how to make money, you know, write a good estimate, stand firm with an insurance company, don't be a pig, just stand firm, you know, and, and get what you need to fix the car properly through the OEM procedures. Um, but the cars that are um, that are restricted, like the big stuff like Land Rover and, and Jag and all that, you know, not Jag because you, you don't see as many on the road, but the, the, the insurance companies are paying for those and they're, they're probably not pleased. And the, 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 the restricted parts are becoming more and more now. Volvo just sent us a bulletin, we're Volvo certified that they're going to start restricting even the small stuff, you know, frame rail ends, brackets, you know, and the insurance companies have very few places to go to. 
so they have to pay you know drp drp is if you run a clean shop and you're icar certified which you should be and you're you have some ase and you have the proper equipment if there's a need in that area you probably can, you can become a drp shop you what are 55 percent of our, our members maybe maybe more now it's got uh, our director right even the case out of the membership it's 50 50. It's fifty. It's pretty down the middle. It's down the middle. It's gone between non-direct and between non-direct and direct. We're we're down the middle. It's definitely gone okay. down. Yeah, I think that I think that if you're a good shop, clean shop, and there's a need in the area, you're going to be a direct repair shop. But to become OEM certified for some of these bigger manufacturers, you know, it took us eight months. Not of I mean, to become Porsche, it's a lot. And it's training and it's ongoing and it's travel and it's a huge commitment. There's less commitment to DRP. Your commitment to DRP is can you handle the volume? Can you do a good job? Can you keep the, you know, the cost at a at a I guess whatever they call normal, which is, is it's a bullshit number. We know the severity is a kind of a shitty number. You know, it's 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 impossible. It's impossible. My severity is two blocks away. The guy can't, my severity is gonna be higher, you know. Um, there's guys higher than me. So I think DRP is it's just a different animal, Tom. And when you blend the two of them, it can get complex. It can become complex. And Wasn't I there the, the element of playing the game too? Because with certification, either you're doing it the way that you are told to do it or you're off the program. But, I mean, but I guess they're similar in that respect. You can't, you can't screw up with uh, with these these big certifications. Yeah. You can't make a, you can't make a mistake, you know? Uh, you'll, I'll get a phone call sometimes from dealerships. Hey, can you sell that bracket to Joe Blow's auto body? That's right. Well, are you out of your mind? It took me a year to do this. You know, like, I swear to God, this is, and I don't blame them for trying, but they, uh, they, they, it, it's just two different animals. That's mm -hmm. all. It's two different animals. If 50% of your members are DRP, I would say for big certifications, 8% of your members are certified for the bigger programs, maybe less. It's so much to keep up with, right? Like if you're it's, doing it's it, it's, it's, it's really, you got, it's a commitment. Financially committed timeline. Yeah. Well, you're, you got guys leaving. You're not even that you're missing people during the year. Yeah. For you know, a week you're, at a time. For right? a week or two. Yeah. You, they, you take off, they go to Atlanta for Porsche or they go to Wisconsin for Jaguar Land Rover. You know, it's a $7,000 trip between the travel and then you pay the OEMs every year to stay on the program. They get a, they get like a VIG in New Jersey, right? They get a, and, and, you know, all of that is, all of that costs money. And, and, and it's, it's hard. It's hard. And it, when you start up, nothing comes in. It takes time to build a relationship and the Porsche customers talk to each other or the Land Rover guy, you know, the dealers got, they're moving work all over the place. The dealers, move work to the shops. That's the relationships and friendships they have. We understand that. So you you know, you get nixed out of some work too. They get your work gets moved around because the dealerships do have a, a shop they rely on, which I understand perfectly. That's how business is done. So, you know, there's a lot of, you're, you're pulled in a lot of different directions when you're DRP and you're pulled in, you're pulled in more directions where OEM. Then you got, then you got three or four people in, in, in the mix. You have the, your OEM manager, right? Doing your audits. You have the manufacturer procedures. You have the insurance company and the customer. So it gets a little more complex, you mm -hmm. know? What do you feel like, what's your personal feeling about 
educating the consumer? How important is that? They should know. I mean, like how it, I honestly know, I honestly know, this is what I know, that when they see the plaque on the wall, that they know that most of the time that you've gone through all the crap. And I'm going to tell you the truth. I have a ton of high profile customers and my regular, my, my, my working class customer, my regular guy, he don't have the time to talk to me about his frame rail and, and, and hydrogen embrittlement and all this bullshit. You know what they want? They want their car fixed easy. They want it clean. They want it straight. They want the color to match. And they want you to communicate with them during the repair. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, and use as many OEM. I tell them about the OEM parts. We do a discussion between OEM and non and not and non-original. We do that. Most of the time, my customers will pay. It will pay. Say, look, this is part of your policy. I'm not direct for your company. And it's another $275. They're like, yeah, whatever. Just put the, you know, that, that's my customer. Mm-hmm. You know, um, that's all that's that's demographic that maybe my demographic could be better. There's people in Franklin Lakes that just have Austin Martins and throw the keys at people. So what I'm trying to say is that um, educating the consumer, if the customer knows if if you have a reputation, do I need to tell the customer about millimeters? And and no, I don't, they don't want to hear this. They don't, they were, that's, that's crap. Mm. You know what? They want their car fixed easy. That's what they want. They want it dropped off, sign the contract or deal, whatever you decide your DOP and your little contract, whatever. And they want their car fixed and they want it back when you tell them. And if you don't, they need an explanation in the middle of the repair or why. So you communicate with the customer, send their text. They don't even want to be on the phone anymore. Yeah. They want a text update now. They don't want an email. They want a quick text text update. What department the car is in, when it's going to be delivered, what's back order. That's all. Do I have a text miscommunication? Yeah, every day, once a day. <laughs> Not even with the customer. <laughs> Yeah, of course. Well, tell us. Yeah, and that'd be a funny one. A funny one? Yeah. Nah, when a miscommunication, there's nothing funny about it. <laughs> yeah, not that's a, true. There's nothing. There's not. There's nothing funny about that customer getting a text for the wrong car, and then mm-hmm. comes to pick up his car, and it's like it's like cut in half, you know. <laughs> and it's full, you know, like. They're like, well, you called me. You told me, uh, it's not, no, 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 no. I can tell you a funny story. That's not one of them. You know? <laughs> that's not, that's just not one of them. It's not funny for anybody. No, God, no. <laughs> I know people are very critical and their, and their time is, their time is, they, they have no time. Yeah. And their kids are in 60 different directions. They got their kids. The boys are in ballet. The girls are in wrestling. It's that's like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, <laughs> they got to pick up. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. I'm not doing this. So I guess we're going to be wrapping up this episode of the Out of Body Experiences podcast. One more time, we'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, Spinezy Americas. Please check out spinezy.us or click the link at the episode description to check them out. And thank you guys for listening. And we are interested in hearing what you want us to talk about. So if there's something that you would like to hear Eddie's take on or maybe Tom and I more likely Eddie's take just uh, email us info at grecopublishing.com or you can hit us up on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram or just give us a call at the office but Tom uh, thank everybody for watching and listening and uh, we'll be back next month with some more entertaining stories from the legendary Eddie Day. No, don't do don't do that don't do that <laughs> he hates it when I call him legendary, legendary don't, I hate I hate when you do that I hate it. <laughs> 
Jesus Christ. <laughs> um, but listen, thank, listen, I, I, whatever you think, I'm, I'm honored that you, you invite me on this and, and, uh, and it means a lot to me. It makes me feel special in my shop, you know, so we, we, you guys are, you guys are awesome. And thank you for being so such great friends over the years. How's that? All right, everybody. Thank you for watching and listening and checking us out. And we look forward to talking to you next month. Goodbye. Thank, thank you. you very much guys.